This Week in Startups is brought to you by Outgrow. With Outgrow, any marketer can build calculators, assessments, chatbots, and recommendation tools to double their conversion rates. Go to outgrow.co slash twist for a 30-day free trial and a $250 credit. That's outgrow.co slash twist. Checkout.com. With Checkout.com, your business can innovate, adapt to your markets, and make smarter financial decisions faster. If your business takes payments online, you need Checkout.com. Learn more at Checkout.com slash twist. And our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. The criticism I've heard and, and the place where people get tripped up is, wait a second, I'm a startup, I'm a small company, I don't have a money printing machine, I don't have tons of venture capital. I can't afford to compete with Netflix, which explicitly is telling people when a recruiter calls, ask them how much the position pays, bring it back to us, and we'll redo your salary at any time. Right. Okay, right like, this was a crazy. That. You asked me about that earlier and we didn't get to it. Yeah. So that, well, I was okay. going to bring it up, Aaron. As a guest of the program, I think that you could, you know, just actually answer my questions. Answer okay, my goddamn questions. <laughs> no, but this is a really, there's just so much with Netflix that's fine. I know why you wanted to write this book, right? Because right. you could write any book, but you mm. chose to go into there and write it. You're fascinated by this, right? It was just fascinating. I just wanted to figure it out, Jason. Yeah. I just was like, and I got to tell you, one of the most irritating things for me throughout the first nine months of interviews <laughs> was that, okay, so there's Reed, who I spent all these hours with, and Patty McCord, many of you know. They're, yeah, she's been on the podcast. Fam- yeah, she wrote a good famous, book, too. Uh, they're yeah. famous uh, HR person who was there for a long time. And people, Patty, Reed, everybody else, they kept saying to me, oh, yeah, it, it's just common sense. And I kept thinking, no, it's it's not common sense. It's not common sense. Um, so I really wanted to figure it out how it, how it worked, right? Um, but then going back to this, uh, going back to this this harsh sounding adequate performance gets a generous severance. Now, whether or not the 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 listeners of your podcast, whether or not they actually want to say that in their company, because you know I think there's arguments for and against, but I do believe that any responsible manager should be using uh, the keeper test at least to ask themselves questions and think about how to deal with the situation. Explain the keeper test. I think this is really just very applicable. And that's one of the nice things about what you did in the book. I just want to give it another plug. It's also a really good listen. No rules, rules, Netflix and the culture of reinvention. Just go buy it and then come back and listen to this. Uh, And and if you like it, write a review. If you didn't like it, you can email Aaron Give her some notes in the, her 360 dinner. <laughs> not at the dinner, right? <laughs> not at the dinner. You're not invited to the dinner. <laughs> well, only those of you who love the book come to the 360 dinner. Yeah, you love dinner. the book. We're having a wine dinner. <laughs> that was the other thing I loved was, but the, I have to do another detour, but the book is so good. The culture is so intriguing. My favorite was they're like, the original, I love how they got to the current I love language and how they phrase stuff. Like it's so eloquent to say adequate performance gets a generous severance. It's very eloquent passive aggressive jerky like you know type a way to say it I, I, that's what i like but the best one was when they had the, the the expense policy they said well do what you would do right and then all of a sudden all these like la hollywood guys are like yeah well i would charter a jet and i would order two bottles of screaming eagle because tom cruise is coming to dinner we gotta spend at least 20 grand on wine and then somebody's like what the f- who spent who bought three bottles of screaming eagle and then they re they iterated on that one, if I remember correctly, to say, do what's in the best interest of Netflix. What's in Netflix's best interest for the for the expense policy? That's right. It used to be be uh, use companies' money as if it were your own. Right. right? And then like, it was wow. like, oh wait, don't no, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> I'm buying an eight ball of cocaine and going to the Knicks game and then taking everybody to a strip club. Right, that's it's right. like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. 
that's not <laughs> the that was the trial and error. Okay, yeah. I have to tell the keeper test, Jason. Okay, so the keeper test. Okay, so back to the keeper test. The keeper test is that you um, that you imagine it's great for COVID, right? Because in our COVID times, you can do it all alone by yourself in your in your bedroom. But it, this is just a very simple practice where you imagine that each person on your team is coming to you and telling you that they're going to leave the company, right? So like I don't know, Tony walks in and he says. Yeah. I'm he done. says, right, he says, I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving the company. Okay, I have a, an offer. And then you ask yourself, how am I going to feel? Right? Am I going to be, am I going to be devastated? Am I going to say, oh gosh, Tony, don't leave, right? Am I going to fight to keep Tony? Because if so, well, you know, Tony is a keeper. Right? You know, mm. Tony's the right person for that, for that position. Are you going to feel relieved? Are you mm. going to think, oh gosh, now I don't have to deal with that problem? Yeah. Are you going to feel excited thinking about the fact that now you have a little bit of extra budget so you can hire someone else yeah, for that? Yeah, replacement. Right. And, you know, then if you're going to feel relieved or excited, that's a clear sign. <laughs> and the sign is now, the next question should be, have I given this person clear feedback, right? Have I given them the feedback? Have I have I coached them so that they can be the best, let's say, athlete, right? Um, but if I have, if I've coached Tony and I gave Tony feedback and, you know, I really see he's not going to be that, that the best person for that job, well, then I really have to think, you know, is it is it time? for a replacement. And you know, it's just a very simple test. But I can tell you when everyone in your company is doing that, it, it automatically just gets the, the talent density up further, which then allows you to offer more freedom. It, it reminds me of uh, you ever see the movie Gladiator? I have not seen it. No, you haven't but seen tell Gladiator? Me. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. It might be it might be a gender thing. Like Gladiator I like is kind just of one of these flicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, Gladiator is incredibly violent, but it's got these incredible moments of resonance. And one of them is when Marcus Aurelius says to Commodus, your, your faults as a son are my failures as a father. Um, and, you know, because his son is just and basically evil. And, and if you are, uh, and, and, you know, disturbed, <laughs> as we find out later in the film, um, but if you did not give proper feedback, you have failed that person. You were the coach. You picked them. You kept them in the job and you didn't even have the self-awareness or the discipline to know that you would have replaced them in a heartbeat and you would have been happy when they decided to leave. And as one person told me, you know, when I had this challenge with some person at some point, he said, are you rooting for them and anymore? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not rooting for them. And like, why are they at your company? This is when I was like a 25 year old CEO. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I could get the person the fuck out of here. This person's horrible. And I fired the person the next day, and, and that person was re relieved. And that's really actually the dysfunction that happens in a lot of things. You, 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 and they moved from looking at it as a family to looking at it as a team. And explain that philosophical difference for the audience. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking as you were talking. So, of course, the most common analogy for a team, for a company, for an organization is the idea of a family. And, you know, okay, we are a family. We all are, we're all trying to be a family to create a family atmosphere. But the, the thing about families is that when, you know, in families, we put up with a lot, right? We put up with a lot. We have to put up with a lot. Um, but I like the idea. I think it's actually quite helpful. This idea of, of thinking about, your company as a team, not a family, and not just like any old team, but I mean, read lately, and maybe now as Netflix has gotten more, more successful, <laughs> he's been talking about it as an Olympic team. Um, but if you think about that idea, like if you're the coach of a professional football team or soccer team, um, your job as the coach is to get the very best person in every position, right? And then you're going to try to, you know, coach the hell out of them and get a lot of good feedback going and try to get, um, try to get, you know, a lot of com camaraderie on the team. But when that person shows that they can't perform, you're not going to keep them on the team just to say, well, gosh, we all have some low performers. You're yeah. going to say, okay, you Cousin know Billy's got to stay. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. no, Cousin Billy's got to go. 
That's right. And it's not even that. It's not just poor performers. You're not even going to put up with adequate performance. If you can find someone better, you're going to, you know, say thank you so much for everything you gave to this team this year. And, you know, now I'm moving whatever Samantha into this role. So I think if people recognize when they join the company that they're not joining for a decade or maybe even for five years, they're just going to be in that team for yeah. the, the, the period of time that they're the best yes. person for the spot. Right. And it's important for leaders to know that a lot of times the employee, the team member is not looking for this to be their family. They got a family already, already in most cases. That's enough. You know, they might have an extended family, might have multiple extended families. They don't need this drama at work. The right players want to be on a team, they want to win, and they want to do it for some period of their life. What is the tenure like at a Netflix? Because it does seem like they have people who are lifers over there. Um, I mean, you do have the issue of that company has succeeded so much that these equity will cause people to call in rich. But aside from people calling in rich and just, you know, having existential crises where they're just like, why would I go to work if I have this month, tens of millions of dollars in my bank account? Um, do, do people not leave? And do people want to stay forever? Is that what you learned? Like, are they oh, lifers yeah. there? Right. Well, this is actually interesting. I've realized, Jason, that here's another question you asked me earlier and I never answered. Okay, so I'll come this back is, to that's it. That's the sign, Aaron, <laughs> of a good interview. I don't mean to be defensive in my 360 dinner, but that's the sign of a vibrant conversation is that there's so much energy that the questions pile up. And that means that you and the interviewee are having a, a flow experience. We're okay, having a good. flow experience here. Okay. There's so many questions bubbling. Okay, up. thank you, because I don't want to be irresponsible, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that yes, um, the question is about oh yeah, um, how many people leave the organization? Okay, so we think you would think right if everyone's asking the keeper test that there mm. would be a high turnover rate at sure. Netflix. A uh, lot of people getting kicked out the door, and of course Netflix doesn't pay much attention to this at all. But what I saw when I looked into it was that their um, turnover rate is just a couple of percentage points higher than the industry average. And the voluntary turnover rate is is several points lower. So people choose to leave the company less frequently. And then the involuntary turnover rate, people getting fired, is slightly higher than in other companies. So that's where you get that kind of increased talent density that then leads to the freedom. But overall, it's not much different than you would find in, in uh, another company in the same industry. Yeah, see, that that's the that was very interesting to me, I think. And it's, it's very um, telling is that they are cutthroat, said it in, you know, plain English here, they're cutthroat about cutting low performers. Uh, but they don't Medium have people performers. leaving on their own. What's that? Medium oh, performers. Reed beat that into me because he kept yes. every time I would say poor, he would say everyone fires poor performers. There's yes, no innovation no points for here. that. <laughs> you don't right. get credit for firing a dipshit. You get you get credit for firing somebody doing a good job. That's I mean, right. in his mind, and that's why people get confused about the culture because you would we've been trained to think you did your job, you keep your job. That's equitable but that's not what high performing teams do and this other idea of loyalty if you can replace the person in that position with a better player you are cutthroat about it i don't know if you follow the nba but if you can get lebron to come to your team whoever's you know playing his position before that is out period how do you know when a product is just killer how about when the market leaders start adopting it when it comes to interactive content marketing Outgrow.co is used by Adobe and Salesforce to engage and educate their audiences while improving their lead conversion rates. Outgrow's wide range of intuitive, no-code tools such as calculators, chatbots, assessments, and quizzes help you drive engagement and boost conversions. So you ever know when you come to a website and they're they're uh, trying to get you as a customer and they give you a nice quiz and then that allows you to talk to somebody who is you know going to help you close that sale like an associate well that's what these funnels are about and if you use these no code tool things like a calculator you could do a mortgage calculator you could do a calculator of savings accounts you get the idea well these pre-optimized templates make it easy for the modern marketer to quickly create interactive content as opposed to going to your dev team and saying i need this and they never get to it because you've got other things to work on when you think outgrow, you should think growth. It's that simple. Outgrow equals growth. Our associate pressure loves outgrow and built this twist podcast recommendation tool for fun. If you head over to thisweekinstartups.com slash get started, 
you can use the tool for yourself and get a personalized recommendation on what episodes to check out based on your preferences. Really cool idea, right? And we would have never hired a developer to do that. But since outgrow.co forward slash twist is giving a 30 day free trial and a $250 credit, it was a no brainer for us. Go ahead and go to outgrow.co slash twist and get that $250 credit. You get it, you put it in your account and you're all set. So how do they account for loyalty in an organization where you're basically not loyal to people who do their job? Well, I think that this, an adequate is actually, job. Yeah. this is actually one of the more interesting things that someone said to me during an interview and it was after the or during a discussion and it was after the book was already finished. <laughs> so it's not in the book, but I had one of the the senior leaders or high level managers say to me that she thought that the entire reason that Netflix was, she said, I don't think it has to do with all of the, that stuff you talked about. She said, I think the entire reason we are so successful at Netflix is because we say to potential job candidates at Netflix, adequate performance gets a generous severance. So people know, okay, if people who, who choose to work here are risk takers, right? Uh, the people who opt in are comfortable taking a big amount of career risk and people who, who don't want to want that methodology, they go work somewhere else. So what we find then at Netflix is that we've got an entire company of employees who are quite comfortable taking risk and, you know, you know, thoughtful risk and that that then has led to this kind of like enormous speed and development. So I don't know that that, that was an interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds cutthroat, but when you put the generous severance on it, you've given an exit ramp. I find it's very important to have that exit ramp uh, and that kindness to, you know, soften the blow of, you know, hey, adequate performance, you're out. Um, or most people would say doing your job, right? That is very counter that you got a generous severance, you got asked to leave for that. And as one venture capital firm, very famous one told me when I said, like, what happened to these two partners? And I was like, they weren't invited into the next fund. Right. And I thought that was like, oh, you fired them. They're like, well, they didn't continue on with us because they weren't invited into the next fund. Right. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's why you're the number one venture capital firm in the world that's with right. like the greatest hits. But it's such a great way to think about it, right? Like at the end of every year, you go back and you look at every employee and you think, okay, would I rehire this person or not? Right. And if everyone knows that's the deal, you know, I don't, I don't think it's unfair. I actually think it's, it's quite, it's quite exciting. Although, no, of course, there are some. Yeah, You're in France. You're in a socialist <laughs> yeah. country. Uh, and you teach in France business students, correct? I do. Yes. How does this philosophy vibe with socialism and, and i don't mean that in like a communist you know socialism as a road to communism but in, in a socialist leaning country uh in or, or continent where you are you know the the idea of firing somebody for adequate performance you would get put uh, you would you would uh you have to go to uh a labor board in order to fire somebody correct like you can't yeah. just really nilly fire it's not an at will place if people do an adequate job they're supposed to get like some raise every year do, yeah how does so the, netflix well, was, operate in france yeah well that was one of the things i really didn't understand my husband who's french i remember that he was like well there's no way they can do that in in france um and when I started working with them, they weren't in France yet, right? They were just starting to get, I was in 2015, they were just starting to get ready for this big international expansion. Um, but what I found, and I, you know, I actually, I don't know the details about it, but what I, what I've learned from reading and the human resource people at Netflix is that adequate performance in the Netherlands or in mm. France gets a more generous severance. <laughs> <laughs> so a much more, um, like a six month or a 12 months more. So what I found was that actually, um, in, you know, in, in Europe, where it is much, let's say, like harder to, to fire people, if you offer enough, enough money, mm. you can, you can ask that person to leave, right? Got it. Um, and, uh, you know, there was actually a case with, in Amsterdam, where there was a one, one Dutch person who was super angry about being asked to leave and um, wanted to take Netflix to court for, for the generous severance. And the, the lawyer said, you know, they gave you this big chunk of money. There's nothing I can do, right? There's no, there's. Yeah. How much more are we going to fight for here? If they gave right. you the year, like, that's right. what are we going to get you 18 months? Let me ask you a candid question then. Can a company, a world, 
changing company be built in France or Norway or, mm. you know, a socialist country, given that you cannot deploy a team mentality, you have to deploy the family or socialist mentality when it comes to managing elite talent. Well, I do think, okay, I do think in many ways that the principles of Netflix are more difficult to roll out in here in Europe. And I do see like yesterday, I was doing a session with, uh, with uh, CEOs in the Czech Republic. And mm. I, uh, I clearly saw that they were like, whoa, what are you asking us to do here? Yeah. Um, but I still think that these principles are, um, I mean, are super important really in any part of the world just simply okay if i want more innovation then i have to take a couple of steps towards increasing talent density whatever that might be and then i have to take a couple of steps towards increasing candor whatever that might be and then i need to think about giving my employees more freedom and as i do that you know the the um the at the soil will become more fertile and innovation mm. will grow um okay. and i so you know applicable uh, yeah. but i mean sort of to my to my question, I'm wondering, you know, when you look at an ecosystem for excellence, America seems to still have, even through some very rough times of, of late, um, we still seem to be exceptional at creating mm. global mm. companies that touch mm. almost everybody on the planet where we're allowed to go. Now, some folks are we're not allowed in certain countries, uh, you know, that are communist countries, but uh, we do have Google or Netflix or Tesla or, you know, Uber or Airbnb spread around the world. And it has to have something to do with the fact that we have at will employment, and we can spin up a unit. And if it doesn't work, fire everybody start over and those people have no recourse. But in other countries, if you spin up a unit for 50 people in the Netherlands, you can't spin it back down. It's a death knell for the company. That's right. And then yeah. you look at China and Jack Ma disappeared for six weeks. And he just, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, he showed back up. Did you see the video? No, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, the video is, he looks like he's being held by Al-Qaeda. I mean, he's like reading from a script and he looks like he's a little shaken. Uh, and he's like, it looks like he just got out of re-education. They basically are sending a signal that if you're playing by their rules, yeah, talk about no rules like you're working for yeah. the government essentially they they, yeah. they took his ipo off the table so what does this mean for global innovation uh since yeah, you're an american living in paris yeah so i mean of course that's uh, jack ma is a very specific case in china but i've been doing some work with alibaba university sure uh so i uh did that just in november and december and those are all chinese entrepreneurs um and you know i work with them mostly through translation and i will tell you they love the no rules rules really? <laughs> philosophies and you know, really focusing those young entrepreneurs really focusing on creating environments that are very very um, like un-Chinese, but they definitely find the people in China who love working that way. So I would say- That's encouraging. Know, like more of an anomaly, but definitely those things are, yeah, coming up all over the world. But you know, I think you did also ask me that question earlier yeah. and I didn't answer it. Okay. I do. This is what they call a really great, <laughs> vibrant discussion. It okay. doesn't, we don't have to cover everything. We leave them wanting more, Erin. Okay. They're going to want a part two from us. <laughs> Because you, you asked me earlier, I'm remembering, about candor in other countries. Right? Yes. Well, that's your and, speciality, is it not? You understand right. in this sort of matrix in Japan, you, you don't ask for the deal in the first meeting and, you know, you never ask directly, like, do we have a deal? You, you would, there would be some other process, right? Right. So that's how I started working with, with Reed because he read my first book, The Culture Map. He was getting ready for this international expansion. He had his leadership team, uh, read it. I came and spoke to Netflix about it. And I remember after the, that first, that first, uh, speech, uh, he and I had, had lunch and he said to me, Aaron, you know, I just want to know, you know, candidly, right? Do you think, that the Netflix culture, as you understand it now, um, mm. do you think that that can work in other countries? And I remember, you know, my answer just flew out of me. I was like, well, that candor, you know, Reed, you can't, you can't do that candor in Japan. You can't do mm -hmm. that in Singapore. It's going to ruin the relationships. It's going to kill the, the good, the good environment at work. And I remember, you know, he thought he listened carefully to me and then he said, well, um, 
you know, I hear that, but that candor is so fundamental to our success at Netflix that we can't operate without it. Do you have anything else for me? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a great said. answer, Erin. I respect <laughs> it. Now give me the answer I would like to hear. <laughs> so then we talked about some other things. I mean, I talked about the fact that nothing to do with what we've been talking about, but I talked about the fact that they were so task-oriented at, at Netflix, these 30-minute meetings, not much relationship building, and you know that was really going to need to change. And he was like, okay, well, that I can do because although we are very task-oriented, that's not a fundamental part of our success. And you know, then he went on this big relationship orientation <laughs> tirade after that. Um, but the candor, I learned something. So I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, what I learned, uh, as I was doing interviews in uh, Tokyo and Netflix Tokyo and Singapore and Sao Paulo was that, um, candor, the behaviors of candor that were coming out of California could not be applied directly to Japan. Mm. Okay. I was right in that it way. They had to be adapted. They had to be adapted and they had to be homegrown. So mm. what I mean by that was like the idea that you would like stop someone in the hall after uh, a meeting and give them feedback, which happens, you know, in, Sil in Silicon Valley in LA. I mean, that's not happening very much in Tokyo. And if it does happen, it's likely to, you know, really hurt the relationship. But uh, to my surprise, those 360 degree feedback dinners, <laughs> they worked really well well in Japan, which would stun me. Do you have a business that accepts purchases or orders online? I bet you do. You're listening to This Week at Startups. And if so, have you ever had a digital transaction not go through? Of course, the answer is yes. So that's called a false decline in the industry. That's an industry term, a false decline. And this is what happens when an online purchase is declined but it should have been accepted. How frustrating is that? You're right there. You have the ability. It's a layup. You're going to put the ball in the basket, but no, you missed the shot. And this is often the result of technical, financial, or fraud scoring reasons. Well, last year, wait for this, US, UK, French, and German false declines were over $20 billion with a B dollars, according to our friends at Checkout.com. Go visit Checkout.com, and you will see how you can resolve this issue. It's a total no-brainer. Here's my associate Presh uh, doing a free test account at checkout.com slash twist. So if you go to checkout.com slash twist, they're going to give you a free account and you get to see Checkout's amazing dashboard. And see here how easy it is to deploy a checkout.com payment gateway onto, let's say, a Squarespace website, a beautiful Squarespace website. There it is. Boom. Checkout is crucial for growing companies. They're going to allow you to get that granular understanding of how cash flows in and out of your business. And they're trusted by brands like Samsung and Adidas and many more. Go ahead and check out checkout.com slash twist. No, it's not stunning because there is, I, I, I my, you know, very cursory knowledge of Japanese culture, having been there five or six times, is it's very formal and buttoned up, like you're saying. But once that whistle blows, and it's the day's over, going out with your boss and getting plastered, and singing karaoke, and literally coming in the next day, because I've done this, where I've gotten so polluted on scotch drinking with Japanese business executives. And then the next day, everybody's like, oh, they just like rub their hair and they're like, oh, yeah, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, but then oh you're back gosh. to work and, you know, <laughs> nobody's giving kind of feedback. But the night before, people are puking in garbage pants <laughs> and just laid out like, you know, in a, in a, a karaoke room, <laughs> just bombed out of their skulls with their bosses. That's so right. they and do have a, something about nighttime. That's right. And there's a word for that that they use in Japan, which is numination. Nu nu yeah. Uh, Numi, which means drinking, vacation, uh -huh. right? Which is to communicate. So the a more drinking drink, vacation or communication? No, communication. So the more Got we it. drink, the better we communicate. But let me hope that that's not <laughs> what's happening in the 360 dinners. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, but I what, think what? that's probably exactly what's happening. But <laughs> I mean, the other thing is for, for Netflix, they don't need the entire country to buy into their system and their culture. They need only the elite. This is what's very interesting and makes me very encouraged about your work with uh, these Chinese entrepreneurs. If the whole country feels like, oh, tall poppy syndrome and don't get out of line, that's fine. 
if, you know, 999 million out of a billion think that way, we only need that million and that little creative class, that little entrepreneurial class to actually want to embrace this philosophy, correct? Well, yeah, I'm, yes and no. I mean, that's really what Reed kept saying. He kept saying that to me, right? He kept saying to me, Aaron, I'll find the Japanese who like candor. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what I was but, thinking. Yeah. But, you know, I, I actually, I would say even the Japanese who were more comfortable with candor, they were clearly not liking candor the way they were liking it in California. But what was so interesting about those 360 feedback um and meals was that I think actually a couple of them were being, were being done in the afternoon. But what was interesting was that people understood what the expectation was. They had time to prepare. They knew that they were supposed to provide feedback that would be helpful to each person at the team. And okay, and Japanese culture is really about, you know, group orientation, helping the team and preparing. Yes. So and when loyalty, they, right? Yeah, right. So when they came in, they were better at that feedback than the Americans. Oh were fascinating and you know so i you know I, I actually really really learned this lesson and i've now been kind of talking about that with a lot of other companies which is that you can take your your values and you can you know spread them around the world and if your value is candor okay take candor and spread it around the world but don't think you can take the behaviors from your own country and you know transplant them you have to let that culture say okay well what does candor look like here Right. And then come up with the behaviors that go with it. And, you know, that seems to actually be working quite well. Was there something that you found that was a leak in the game? Because so much of it is so inspiring, so refined, so tight. But was there anything you said, you know what, Reed, I disagree 100%. You're wrong. And that he changed his behavior eventually. Or was it just, hey, they've really dialed this in and figured it out? Well, I mean, so they, they clearly had some um, bets that failed. <laughs> they Quickie. clearly had, they, they <laughs> clearly, they clearly had some experiments that failed. And Reed does think about his culture, the corporate culture as a, as an experiment. Right. So I think that's actually interesting for the entrepreneurs on the, uh, on the podcast to just think about, okay, you know, of course you have to be there like figuring out what's working and not working and trying things out. But one of the things that they tried at Netflix was, um, open salaries. And Reed believed very strongly that he wanted to have salary transparency throughout the organization. So everybody at every level would know what everybody else was making. And I actually love his reasoning for that. So his reasoning was that. Every manager should be able to explain, you know, clearly and transparently why they pay each person what they do. And if they can't do that, well, then there's something wrong here. Right? I, and, I agree with that. Yeah. And he also, we, yeah, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say, it, but he didn't originally believe in that or he did? No, he did. I mean, and he still does. Okay. So that was his big, like, I really want to make this happen. And there were also these, of course, you know, wonderful reasons for doing it, like getting rid of, uh, of gender disparity, right? Sure. So the, if, if you're paying women less than men on your team, if you make it, uh, if you make, uh, salaries transparent, well, that's going to go away, right? Yeah. Well, people will take out the spreadsheet and they will do the math for you. Like, and they will show you exactly where your bias is. That's right. So Reed started by first um, rolling out that salary transparency to his vice presidents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was like that, I don't know, for a year or six months or something like that. And then he rolled it down to the next level. So now the top 10% of the employees uh, had salary transparency. And it was a big mess. So oh. Reed kept thinking, you know, it's just a period of adjustment. Right? <laughs> that would just adjust. We'll just get used to it, right? He said people are not used to it, so they're kind of like flipping out, but we'll get used to it. Um, but I interviewed people about it. I was fascinated. I actually wrote a chapter for the book, but I ended up taking it out because it was kind of like a transgression. But it was, you know, people just like, um, oh, every time I look at any of my colleagues, I see their salary flashing on their head. Right? Wow. Or I can't, um, I can't feel good about working here anymore. Now that I see how much money people are paid in that department. <laughs> you so know, like, it went from being like, fairness to just creating anxiety or angst, and people were just jealousy or whatever. I mean, it is people's papers, people consider very private what they get paid. And so I could see people who are high performers being like, I really don't want people to know my salary. 
And people didn't want, they didn't want to know other salaries. <laughs> people would say things to me That's like, I felt really good about my job and about what I was making until I had that spreadsheet open to me. And then I got that link and I spent all night pouring through it. And when I got through it, I was so mad. And I talked to my boss about it. And you know, I'm still mad. <laughs> And now I don't want to work here anymore. <laughs> it is challenging, I think. If you if you if you look at any organization, the top sales execs, if the organization has a great year, are going to make two x what their managers are going to make, or the management team is going to make. Now, the management team might have equity that's worth a lot more ultimately. But I mean, my entire life, I've looked at like the people who are in the sales department, like, wow, they're making two x the you know the people in operations. Is that fair or not? It's like. Well, that's what the market pays. The same thing with developers. You, you, when you are in tech, you very quickly start to realize like, wow, the people in operations who are working just as hard or sometimes more or whatever are, are being dwarfed in their compensation by the developers, but it's, it's a free market. So you just say to people, do you want to be a developer and write code? And they're like, no, I would rather make $50,000 less a year and not have to write code all day. So people will opt into it, but it does create that. Let me ask you a question about modern as we wrap here. And this is Wait, but amazing. sorry, I have to tell the end of the story, which is the end of the story is that he brought it to a vote, right? Oh. So Reed wanted, Reed wanted to pass it down to the whole company. He was, he was dead fast on passing it down to the whole company, but he brought it to a vote at the, their elite quarterly leadership meeting and the top 800 voted. Oh, it was something like over 75%, maybe more than that. No, we don't roll it down. So Reed gave up. Yeah. In any case, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think it's good for him to win the war and, you know, not like, you don't have to win every battle to win the culture war, right? Like you can let certain things go. He can readdress it. Do you ever wish that you invested in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? I bet you do. Well, our crowd investors did invest in many of those awesome IPOs. With our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO or before they get bought. Those are the two likely scenarios if you're going to have an exit. Well, our crowd investors have benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat. What an amazing company. And some of the companies have also been acquired by the likes of Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle, right? There's two ways to have an exit. Generally speaking, one is an IPO and one is getting bought. And our crowd's professional research team identifies these promising companies. Uh, and they also look for funds across a range of sectors, stages, and locations. They've already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. So today you can join our crowd's investment in NanoLock Security, a company offering IoT cyber protection. This includes billions of low-end devices that other technologies simply can't protect. NanoLock is the only device-level protection that has both near-zero power requirements and is operating system agnostic. You can get in early on NanoLock and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. That's rcrowd.com slash twist. It's totally free. O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist. Let me ask you a challenging question because I had this happen and I, I talked to my mom about it and I talked to my wife about it. Uh, let's say you have three people who are different genders. One person happens to have 10 years experience more than the others, but they're all doing the same job. But one person has 10 years more experience. Should those three people be paid the same amount because they're doing the same work? Or should the person with 10 years experience because they've put 10 more years and they have a little more wisdom, maybe? Uh, should they get that? Let's just pick a number 20% more. Well, I mean, the idea at Netflix would be that if you've worked 10 years longer, but you're not adding, you know, 10 years more value, hmm. then you get paid for the value that you're being delivered, right? Hmm. And that, you know, that brings us back to the keeper test. Otherwise, we might end up in a situation where we're paying somebody, you know, so much because they have so much experience, but we actually think that for that same amount of money, we could get a younger person who would add more value, right? Um, but it's not clear cut, right? Of course. And of course, I don't, I don't know what your mom said. <laughs> my mom, Well, it was interesting, because my mom's a nurse. And so I framed it, you know, obviously, the framing of this is important. Uh, the framing came from the fact that in this example, it happened to be a male who had the 10 years more experience and a female who had 10 years less. And I had paid the person more who had the 10 years experience. And then I was sitting there going, you know, do I have a blind spot here? I'm paying the male who's doing the same job as the female, some percentage more. 
But that was because they had 10 more, more years experience and they had had other positions that were leadership positions. And so I went to my mom and said, mom and my wife, I had a conversation with them. Like, Tell me if a, and my mom's a nurse. I said, if a nurse had 10 years experience, but they were both emergency room nurses, which is what my mom did. She ran an ICU. And then before that ran the emergency room, she's a nurse practitioner. I said, putting aside degrees, which you could make a judgment based on the degree and the investment in that and whatever, uh, and the certification, putting certifications aside, just 10 years more experience in the emergency room versus, you know, one person has 10, one person has 20, but they're doing the same thing. Any difference in salary? And my mom's immediate reaction was yes. And then she kind of backed tracked a little bit and was like, well, maybe if they're doing the same exact, it was it was basically we all were struggled with it is what, where we came out. We all struggled with it because you want to in one way, have it be fair to the per to both parties. And it seems unfair to the person who put 10 years in and has more wisdom, maybe at some point, might have a little bit more scar tissue, so to speak to, to make a better decision or more reps. But they are doing the same work. So that seems unfair to the person. I, I don't have an answer for it. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, what I could, yeah. what I would have seen at Netflix with that would be that people are, as they're looking at that, you know, every year, as we talked yeah. to, talked about, every year they look at the salaries of the people on their team, and if they feel like, um, like they could, like. Uh, one of the one of the people on their team could make more money at another company than they up their salary to what they think they could make at another company, right? So that's the only thing that they're looking at. What they're looking at is how much is this person worth on the market? How much could they make at another company? That's where talking to the the recruiters come this in, right? Yes. Uh, and then make sure that I'm paying them whatever necessary in order to keep them on the team. Um, now, of course, there are other complexities. Oh my gosh, right? I mean, uh, I, I let you wrestle with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of a difficult one, and we all want equity. So I think having a transparent discussion about it is actually a good way to do it, which is what I ultimately did, um, and ultimately, you know. I basically decided to freeze the salary of that person while raising the other people's salaries and that other person wound up not being with the organization. So problem solved. <laughs> uh, but the, the free market does determine some things, right? Like, listen, I could talk to you for hours and I have. <laughs> We're in hour two here. So I am going to, Aaron, thank you for your time. I know it's late in Paris. Everything going okay there in terms of the pandemic or you guys are all shut down huh we're, we're taping this in oh yeah no we're okay i mean it's not like not like the uk so the big huge thing is that the schools have not closed uh in this school year so i have these two boys ethan and logan they're uh 15 and 11 and we did close down in march but the schools have been open they wear masks all day but the schools are open so we we have a six o'clock curfew here um in in all over france so starting at six o'clock you no one can leave their house um but the kids go to school so you know you can't even go Fine. for a run or a walk down the Champs de Lazay? No, I used to run at six and now I run at noon. But this you know, my when, favorite when you're, part of France. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I would, this is what I would do every morning. I get up at 6 a.m., I go for a three or four mile run, and I would end at a bakery and have two pan au chocolats and negate the run times two. <laughs> and I literally, they thought I was a crazy American, because Americans are looked, you're looked at as weird, right? In France as an American. <laughs> well, yes, I hang out in a little corner over here. There's not too many of us, but. <laughs> well, I would go for a run and then I would show up sweating when the bakery was opening at 630 in the morning. I had two pan au chocolates and a cafe latte or nissoir, whatever, whatever they, what are they call it. Um, what is the coffee with a little bit of milk? Uh, God. It's oh, like a oh. Cortado. Noisette. Uh, a noisette, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would get a noisette and two pan au chocolat. Oh my God, it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you uh, can still friends. do it though because the curfew lifts at 6 a.m. So you're still allowed. You can't sit in the coffee shop, but you can go in and get the coffee. Yeah, plenty of places you could go. All right, listen, uh, if you haven't read the book, go buy it right now. Uh, and you can follow Aaron on uh, the Twitter, Aaron, M-E-Y-E-R-I-N-S-E-A-D, in Siad. INSEAD is how you pronounce it? That's right. INSEAD. That's right. INSEAD. You teach yeah. MBA students there. I do. Yes, it's I do. It's global, right? Like a lot of people come from around the world for it. Oh, it's French yeah. No, no. French are only um, 7% of our MBA students. So it's really people people from all over from all over the world. So it's been a it's been a perfect climate for my national my national cultural research. Absolutely fantastic. I'll stay here forever. Yeah. It, uh, well, you know, a lot of us have been thinking about other countries after the last four years here. Where did you grow up in America? I'm curious. I'm from Minnesota. 
Yeah, not the most don't international you know. place. Wow, <laughs> but I met my husband. Know. So my husband's French. I met him in Minnesota. He was uh, he was working for Northwest Airlines at the time. So you know, the rest wow. is history. A Frenchman in Minnesota. <laughs> don't see how many of those just coming through that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, listen, okay, Aaron, Jason. It's been it was amazing. Really a the book is amazing. Go buy right now. No rules, rules. Netflix and the culture of reinvention. It's really well organized as well. Where you really, I think it's a very practical, um, a very practical book. You're gonna. T it's one of those books that's a quick read that you're gonna probably listen or read to two or three times, and you're gonna really uh, takes a little work to deploy this. Uh, but this thinking really has made me understand what I had. A, I thought I understood just from looking at the Netflix culture deck or reading about it. But you really want to read this book uh, and apply it and then get Patty McCord's as well. I think it's a nice I've, I've I had Patty on as well on the podcast a couple years ago. And it's really nice to to read both. I think you get sometimes two or three people's take on a the same thing. I don't know if you read Mike Ovitz's book. Have you read Mike Ovitz's who is Mike Ovitz? So reading Mike Ovitz's book, who is Mike Ovitz, the CAA oral history and then reading uh, Bob Iger's Ride of a Lifetime, which is a little bit of a prestige, like pre-running for president kind of book. But if you read that trio of books, you really do start to understand what happened at Disney over those decades. Um, Patty was on in 2018, episode 792 for the fans of the pod. Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, good luck. Uh, and I can't wait to read. What was your, what's the name of your first book? I haven't read your first book yet. It's the, the culture, culture map. the culture map. Yeah. And that just goes over culture across the world and how to how it's different. Right. So I have I have a method that breaks culture down into eight behavioral scales. So we oh, look yeah. at things like how do you give feedback in different countries or how do we build trust in different cultures? And then I have a yeah, I have a, like a very detailed method for mapping cultures out and looking for gaps and um and figuring out how to be more effective when you're leading in another country or you're leading a global team. So if your uh, listeners are interested, AaronMeyer.com is where to find me. Oh, Perfect. Oh, let me ask you a self-serving question. Yeah. Which place, which country would you say has the most promising, dogged, resilient, biggest thinking founders right now outside of the United States? You had to pick three locations where you think the next Alibaba, you know, Google, Uber, Airbnb, Netflix would emerge from other than the United States and China. Where would you say? Because those are two obvious answers. Yeah. Oh, I don't have a good answer for you. I mean, what I see is that there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff that's coming out of the Netherlands. I mean, the Netherlands is a fantastic country. And of course, they're very good at uh, they're mo one of the most egalitarian countries in the world. So they're very good at um, at this kind of like pushing power down in the organizations. And they're one of the most direct cultures in the world. Yeah. So when it comes to candor, and when it comes to transparency, they're they're very good at it. And they're pretty high on the comfort with risk scale, not as high as the US but pretty pretty high on that that yeah. scale which I think also makes people more likely to, to try things out so yeah that's one of my my favorite countries to do work and lots of stuff happening there it in really is interesting the number of unicorns coming out of the Nordics um, on a I look at the number of unicorns per million people and you look at something like Sweden you know they have, they have a dozen unicorns that have come out of there and it's a country of 15 million people or 10 you know, in Norway's five or six. And, they, you know, they, I mean, these countries are punching well above the weight. The other one is Australia. You look at, for some reason, those entrepreneurs there are really resilient, dogged pirates uh, who really want to build big companies. Also, they happen to, you know, natively speak in the English language. So it gives them an advantage when they come to the to the West. Yeah, but that's really interesting because you've just listed now five of the six most egalitarian countries in the world. So the three Scandinavian countries. What does it and mean egalitarian the, in this context? Um, how much we defer to authority. Uh, or, uh, yeah, so how much we defer to authority or how much respect we show, like, res yeah, respect we show to the boss. Right. So uh, we can see that, of course, in a, and those cultures are much more egalitarian than the U.S., right? Um, the Israel is the other one that scores very high on the, uh, the egalitarian, what we call low power distance scale. Low power distance means that we don't defer to the boss so much, right? Yeah. So egalitarian <laughs> is equality amongst the team. So this respect of, you know, the, the most recent person, the lowest paid person to the highest paid person, everybody has a voice. And in America, you know, somebody in the mailroom would have no problem calling out Reed Hastings or Jeff Bezos and saying, this is stupid. 
That's our culture in America. I mean, we would risk being fired to say that, right? Well, yeah. I mean, in comparison to to France or China, that's definitely true yeah. that American is lower partisans. But we are very hierarchical in the U.S. and compared to the comparison to the Netherlands. <laughs> it might shock you, but when you start working with Dutch people or Swedish people or Danish people, you start seeing, oh, I thought we were egalitarian in the U.S., but actually, we are really focused on pleasing the boss, <laughs> which is not so much the case in those countries. So it's all relative. And that's how I build the framework, right? This culture of relativity. Yeah, I, this idea of like getting to Denmark is something I remember reading about in The Economist or something where the the, the people of some of these Scandinavian countries really are represented by their uh, political um, uh, class in a very tight way, you know, whereas in the United States, it feels like there's such a big gap between what the people want. And when the government actually gets to legalization of cannabis or gay marriage or gun rights, like it just there, there's something out of sync in the United States that in these other smaller countries, like it could be a the, the size and scale of those companies as well, right? Like it's, they're, they're not that big. I also like that brown bread and the schmorborg. I don't know if you had that schmorborg. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's because of the bread. That's the open face sandwich. I'm sure it's because of the bread. <laughs> it is. That schmorborg, the open <laughs> face the brown bread sandwiches. Bread. I know, so oh. healthy. I know, really, really thick. Oh. All those nuts in it. And you it's know, they, so put, they put cheese and jam on it at the same time. <laughs> Butter on the brown bread with <laughs> Yum. cheese. Yum. Oh, so good. There's a, there's a place, if you ever go to uh, uh, Copenhagen, there's a place called Ida Davidson, which is like the oldest restaurant there. And they have these Schmerberg sandwiches, which are like those open face sandwiches with like salmon or whatever mackerel on them and just 20 different things are beautifully constructed. And the first thing I do when I go there is eat those sandwiches. I go right to Ida Davidson and I get it. And then I go to Noma. Is that Noma, okay. the restaurant over there? That's right. Well, I'm supposed restaurant. to go in yeah, in, in April if, if COVID allows. So I'm writing it down. Ida I'm coming Ida to see Davidson. you. Okay. Ida Davidson. And then, no, is it Noma? Noma is the famous restaurant there. Okay. That's like where they do all the avant-garde stuff. Uh, I'll tell them scene. you sent me. <laughs> yeah. All right, Aaron, it's been amazing. Thanks, Thank you Jason. so much. Everybody buy the okay. book and Take uh, I'll care. have you on again uh, when your okay. next book comes out. You gotta, okay. You're working on another one, I bet. Not yet, not yet. Just came out. The last one just came out in September. Give me a little time, okay, Jason? <laughs> you, should, you should definitely do one on, you know, like where you think the next... I, I feel like the reason I was really excited to talk to you, um, even more so than like even having Reed on, because I, I know that conversation with Reed, but you, 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 uh, because you examine these things, you have a little bit of objectivity. I was really interested in your take on global themes in, in business and because of where, you know, 7% of people at your university are French and everybody else is from around the world. I really think there's something brewing about capitalism around the world that you might have a very unique perspective on and you know capitalism plus other operating systems socialism capitalism plus communism capitalism plus democracy and how this is hashing out because there's something really weird going on where it seemed like china was going to run away with everything and then all of a sudden you have alibaba and the ant ipo getting paused and maybe it's going to be hard for them to actually have you know jeff bezos and you know, Reed Hastings and whoever emerge in China, because that challenges the the ruling class in a way that they didn't never expected. That's right. right? Well, yes, that's right. So okay, I'll write that I'll write that down for write my that next book. book. Okay, yeah. I'll get, get to, to work. work on that. I'll be back in a few months. <laughs> I'm your agent. <laughs> this is the book I think you should you're born to write is like the Thank you. the book about the the global perspective on you know, can the Netflix is where can the next Netflix come out of and where can't it come out of and why because of cultural reasons. All right, listen, right. you've okay, been we gotta uh, go. amazing. Gotta go. Gotta go. We gotta pleasure, end the show. <laughs> all right, cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye now. We'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups.